Lord's lead here a little bit. So, Timothy, if you'll just come up, and uh, Pam and Tom, if you guys would just come up. We've had a lot of prophetic stirring in here right now, and so just want to release some of that and just what God is doing in the atmosphere. So, hey, you guys be good, okay? Right, and Link, right? And so, because um, there's three of us preaching today, so yeah. Um, but I just want, I really feel like this is what God is, because sometimes... You can feel what God is doing, but then there's, a, there's an outworking in it. And we want to make sure we're responding to the outworking of what God's saying and doing. Well, okay. So when, when I think it was Caleb was challenging us uh, about the prophetic rising up, I felt like the Lord was really challenging us and that there was a spirit of hope, that hope was rising up in people, hope for the lost, hope for people that we are praying for, family members, church, you know, our children that are wayward or just different things. And I was personally convicted that, that I would have hope, and the Lord challenged me to reach out and touch someone else's life, like to witness, to just even say, Jesus loves you, because you know what? I could be the answer to one of someone else's prayers. You could be the answer to someone else's prayer. I am praying for people to come into my children's lives and speak to them. Are they listening? And so when hope rises up in you, for those that you love, for salvation or to come back, the Lord is challenging you to step out in faith and, and reach out to someone else you don't know, almost as a seed, to reap back what you've been praying for. Okay. Hey, uh, w- when we were singing that song, Love's Returning, whatever that song's called, but I, I began to see it new and see it different, and then as we worship today, and it reminded me of January 31st, 1977. We were over in the gymnasium of the school building. And it was like, it's the most, the most palpable presence of the Lord I have ever felt in my entire life was that morning. And I still remember it. I could tell you the song we were singing. And it was like liquid love got, got it just like, I don't want to say got poured. It's like, it was it was incredibly, it was like you loved everybody and you couldn't stop from telling people you loved them. And everybody just did it, I don't know how long. But I say that to say, when we were, the loves returning, I began to see Jesus coming. And if we want to be forerunners, then we're going to see that it's, that uh, we're going to, there's going to be something just in his reproduction of his nature in us that's going to cause us to love everybody around us, even people we don't like or people in categories of people we don't like. And that is that happens. But I just want you to know we can be forerunners, and to be forerunners, it's going to look like love when Jesus yes. comes. Yes, yes. Yeah, I hope you caught that vein. That hope turns to love, and so the hope that God is stirring in you is going to have fruit. He's looking for fruit. That's if, It's not me, it's John 15. He's looking for fruit. And so I just want to remind you that you are His fruit. And He is looking for you to just begin to overflow. And today is a day of overflow. Today is, I, I, and those of you that come here often, you know this is my favorite day of the year. Um, and and I've made a commitment to the Lord. We will always preach on the on the Gospels of the day of, of, of the triumphal entry on these days because 
I feel like the church overall, even in the world, but a lot in America, just bypasses this day because it's too extreme. It's an extreme day. It's a day where Jesus got revealed. It's a day where they thought they had Jesus all figured out and the atmosphere changed and they realized, oh, wait a minute, this is who Jesus is. And so uh, today what we're going to do is there's going to be three of us that go. Timothy and Ty are going to come up and help me today. But I felt like the Lord told me this this morning, that He's adding to our revelation of Jesus. He's adding to. So if you think you've got Jesus all figured out, I want to challenge you this morning that, that, that you may have a revelation of who Jesus is. Maybe it's like He's faithful. And you know He's faithful. But all of a sudden you realize, oh, He's good. And then the next time you come to be with Him, you realize, oh, He's powerful. And then the next time you come to be with Him, you realize, oh, He's love. And the next time you come with Him, there's an interesting word, you might realize He's present in my life. And then the next time you come, you may realize He's King. And then the next time you come, you might realize He's really faithful. And then He is unfathomably good. And He is majestically powerful. What am I saying? We don't get stuck with what we know. If you're in pursuit and relationship with Jesus, it's always increasing. And that's what this day is about to me. Because then you realize He's always present. And then you realize He's King of Kings. And see, I could keep going. Because I could keep adding adjectives. And I could keep saying, this is who He is. And if you're not experiencing that or not loving what you're experiencing, I challenge you today to let the Scriptures change your life. Let who He is change your life. So Timothy's going to come up first and and start us off today. Go get him. I'm going to be good and set a timer so that I stop. I'm not even kidding. I, like, I told the Lord, I'm going to be good. And He was like, okay. So, man... Luke just jumped at the the triumph the triumphal entry and Luke just jumped off the page at me and and when I asked the whole, I was talking to the Holy Spirit and just just wrestling and he was like I want you to talk about response and what's our response when Jesus walks in well I I felt like it was a journey there was three steps from the perspective of the person who on the donkey everyone everyone that doesn't know the story don't worry I'm going to read it I'm just giving a quick overview so that and this is I'm not assuming this is what happened. I actually saw the Holy Spirit put me in this person's place and he was like, What would you have done when this happened? And when this happened and when this happened. And so I want all of us to be put into that spot. And I believe there were three spots of transformation that can happen. We can go from bystander to follower and from follower to disciple. Okay? So let's read. We're in Luke chapter nineteen. Verses 28, and we're going to probably go through 44 unless time is not on our side. But God's on our side, and he is outside of time, so we're good. All right, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent out two of his disciples, saying, saying to them, Go to the village ahead Uh, ahead of you and as you enter it you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever written untie it and bring it here if anyone asks you 
Why are you untying this? Tell them the Lord needs it. So those those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? Okay, we're the owner. So I want you to imagine there's these two random dudes you've never met, and they're coming and untying your donkey that you own. Okay? This, it, it could be your livelihood. And they replied, the Lord needs it. Okay. In this moment, the owner of the cult had a choice. He could have said no. He could have been someone that was just a bystander that owned a donkey and some guys walked by towards Jerusalem. Because there's two small towns. There's Bethany and Bethpage. And they're right outside Jerusalem. And Jesus sent them from Bethany to Bethpage to get the donkey. And so... In that moment, he said, okay, yes, I'm going to go from being a bystander to I'm going to be a part of it. I want to put this into, into our terms. So maybe that means we got saved. Someone led us, led us to Jesus, and we got saved, and we went from being a bystander to being part of it. We, became, we entered the family of God. Maybe, maybe you had an encounter with God. Maybe someone, you met an incredible disciple maker who was in love with Jesus and he was like, bro, I got to tell you about this person. And you're on the fence, but you're interested. You're no longer just a bystander. You're someone who's, who's in it. And see, there's levels of it. You don't have to be all in right at first. There's levels of it. You, you can be in it just and, and you can be interested. And that's where this donkey owner was at, okay? They brought the cult to Jesus. Threw their cloaks on it and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the road, the place, uh, um, excuse me, when he came near the place where the road goes down Mount Olive, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Roll back the clock just a sec. Okay, so Jesus jumped on the donkey. People were throwing cloaks down. That was a long way from Bethany to Jerusalem. It was about one mile. So guess what? They passed by the donkey owner again. And so that donkey owner, maybe there was a response. Maybe it's us, okay? Let's put us there. Just be sitting there. And this man is on your donkey. And there's, there's coats on it. And something in your heart stirs. There's a response coming out of you, and you're like, I don't know. And, and you just kind of just start going like this. And you're like, why am I walking? And you're just following. You're following. Maybe you threw your cloak down and were like, I don't know what I'm doing, but something in you was stirred. And maybe, that, maybe that's something. Maybe, it's, it, maybe you came to church one time, and you were just stirred, and you're like, I'm just going to jump in. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe you, you, you get on a volunteer team at a church. Maybe, maybe you go to intro hour, and you're like, I don't know what's happening, but something is, is drawing a response out of me. It's an invitation. There's all these invitations. What does it look like for you? Maybe you went from bystander to follower and you're like, I don't know what's happening, but something inside me is being, is being pulled out because the, mag, the magnitude of who Jesus is as he walks by is t- pulling you towards him. And you're like, okay, I have to follow. So then it said that when they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God. Okay, guys, if we're following, then we're in that. Everyone around you starts to praise. 
And in, in one of the other passages, it says, they begin to praise him for the testimonies that he had done. You're standing around, you're like, whoa. And there's people looking, and they're like, they're, they're his, these people are his disciples. And you're like, well, maybe I'm not in that. Maybe I'm just in this crowd. And you're like, but something in your heart is like, no, I'm part of this. And there's a cry, and it's like something comes bubbling out of you, and you're like, the king of kings, Hosanna, Hosanna. And in that moment, you go from follower to disciple. And this is, guys, from in one mile, I want to show you, it's quick. It doesn't have to be a 10-year journey. It doesn't have to be a 20-year journey. It was a one-kilometer journey. It was from Bethany to Bethpage to Jerusalem, this donkey owner you're standing there and these two random guys come up i mean come on guys and then all of a sudden there's a man passing you're like i must follow him jesus didn't even have to ask it's the goodness of who he is creates a response in us and we're like okay jesus here i come here i come and then all of a sudden you're screaming blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest because you're a good jew and you know the scriptures so you're screaming screaming it. You're screaming. He's here. He's here. You're screaming it because it's response coming out of you. And in that moment, you're becoming a disciple, guys. This isn't, okay, so I, the reason I use these words that we've been using is because I want to seal this in you. I want you to become like steel. I want you to become hardened and know that you can become a bystander to a follower, a follower to a disciple quickly. This isn't something that you have to earn it's not because you gave the donkey. It was the, it was the enticing in your heart of Jesus that created response. And that's what made you a follower. And then from a follower to a disciple, it was again the enticing in your heart that created response. This is not something you can earn. If you want to be this, you can. Okay, guys? So let's keep reading because, man, the rest of the scriptures is so good. Guys, just imagine, you're screaming, you're shouting, and then there's these guys on the side. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. You're realizing, that's me. And then maybe there's a little bit of fear of man of like, those guys, like, they're, they're seeing me, they're seeing me with Jesus, like, am I going to get in trouble? And then your heart goes, starts to stir again, you're like, no, I don't care. It's the same thing that Scott talked about when you're, in, when you're in fear of the Lord. You're not afraid of anything else. But when you're in, so in love with Jesus, it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter if this teacher is a law. Okay, let's keep going. Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And then something in your bones is like, yep. I'm doing the right thing. And then you start to grab other people. Maybe you're still at the gate and there's farmers and you're like, you got to stop what you're doing. Come with me. Come with me. Look who's here. Look who's here. And they're like, who? The king. And they have a magnitude. They have an encounter. They have a realization, guys. From this one story, from this one kilometer journey of Bethany to Jerusalem, you can become a bystander to a disciple. I'm going to invite Ty up. He's our youth pastor here and my best friend and my brother. And he's going to knock it out of the park. You guys ready? Let's go. Wow, that was good. 
Come on. I was praying this morning about today in the shower. and uh, I was like, God, what are you? I pray in the shower a ton. Um, I said, like, God, what are you doing today? I heard him say, I am, I am just removing the fear of man. So that was spot on. It's spot on. You get to the place where you're so in love with Jesus. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Come on. Alrighty, I'm going to be, I don't need a timer. I'm good. I'm good. Danae, can you pop that verse up? We're going to stay right here. We don't need. (laughs) When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? They were stirred, not because of the noise, the commotion. No, no. It says, When he entered, his very presence started to stir everyone around. His presence is enough. His presence is more than enough. Notice how it says the whole city. Jerusalem is probably a pretty big place. The people on the outskirts of town who had no idea that this man was coming riding a donkey was probably feeling something they couldn't explain because his presence changed the atmosphere. I think sometimes we get into a place with God where we ask him specific things that we need. And that's great. But when our priorities are those things, instead of just an invitation of his presence, something's wrong. I think we need more invitation in our prayer life than specification. Instead of saying, God, I have this and this and this that I need you to fix. No, just come. Jesus, come. Because your presence is enough. Your presence is what stirs us. It changes the whole game, man. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. It is enough. It's enough. It's like King David, he knew, he knew, Lord, please take not your presence from me. You can have everything else, but please don't take your presence. Let me challenge you this morning. What's it look like when we live in his presence? What's it look like when you carry that same city-stirring presence everywhere you go? Because that's what we're called to live, right? called to always live in his presence. And there's a lie that you have to be perfect in order to live in his presence. No. If you're a believer of Jesus, you're in his presence. You're in his presence. So that same anointing, that same stirring of the city, the presence stirring that city, sorry, I get excited I lose my train of thought in my words. That same city stirring presence lives inside of you and inside of me. So whenever you go to H-E-B or whenever you go to your job or whenever you go to your family, you carry that with you. It changes the game, man. It's the same spirit that lives inside of us. 
And let me tell you, when you live in that place, there's always going to be a response. There's always going to be a response from people. They're just going to be curious. I'm serious. Notice that the response here was palm branches and coats on the ground. Sometimes it's not like that. I was in a hospital room about a month ago with my dad. I began to walk in there, and it felt like the most hopeless scenario. It was dark, and I was praying, and it felt like I was, I was praying from a place of defeat, like an uphill battle. I was trying to gather everything up, and, and, and someone texted me and said, Ty, remember, you can change the atmosphere. I think it was you. All of a sudden, I began to remember, it's the same spirit that lives in me. It's the same city-stirring presence that I live. And all of a sudden, I just began to stir up the presence of God that I knew that I lived, but it was because I had to recognize that it's in me. And I began to worship, and then all of a sudden, it started to change. The atmosphere shifted. And let me just tell you, it wasn't palm branches. It was doors that the nurses were closing because I was being so loud. Sometimes it looks different. Sometimes it's different. There's always going to be a response. There's always going to be people hungry for the presence of God. You have to understand that when you be, decide to be a Christian and you decide that, hey, uh, my body is going to host the presence of the living God, people are going to take notice. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, people are going to take notice. So you've got to be ready. You've got to say, hey, who is this? Because they're going to ask, hey, what's up with you? What do you have that I don't have? You have to be quick to say, hey, it's Jesus. I'm not being positive. I'm not just being a good person. No, I have the presence of Jesus. That's it. And on time. I think they got it. Yeah. Actually, I'm ready. I wore a coat today. <laughs> and I thought, well, if all else fails, I'll just take it off and throw it on the ground. But I... I, I, I see, we've been working on not talking exactly where we're going to go, but just knowing what the idea was, and, and I really felt like to get this place of, of bystander, the follower, some of you may be in those places today, and so, most of us are in some of those places in our lives, if we just get real, because we've got to be able to lay ourselves down, and be like, oh, I'm a disciple, yes, until there's areas that aren't, you know, and what, I mean, I want to come into the presence of Jesus and be like, I'm, I'm all in. And if I've got sin, it's okay. I'm to just lay it down and say, you got this, and I'm repenting so I can change. You know, like, that's not a popular message these days. But I, I don't think sin is powerful, so I'm not afraid to talk about it. I think that Jesus dealt with it. But we've been so afraid to talk about it that we haven't allowed Jesus to deal with it. 
And so I just want to encourage you right now, like if, if you feel something stirring in you, like, man, I, I feel disqualified. No, the presence of Jesus is actually calling you. And just lay it before me. Those same people were also, some of them were the next week shouting Barabbas. And a month later, they're being encountered by Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost. And I just want to remind you that, that God is not afraid of our mess-ups. That's why He sent Jesus. And so we begin to look at that. And we get this place of discipleship. We get the place of His presence. But you know the enemy hates it when we encounter Jesus? He hates it. And as I begin to read through the Scriptures, it was very clear some places where the enemy was trying to literally stop what God was doing. And I want to I show you, because if we pull back the schemes of the enemy, when you have a day like today, maybe you were in here and you were filling the seeds of hope like Pam, Pam was talking about, and they're going in you and you're waving your branch. You're like, what am I doing? I'm waving a branch. I mean, I used to be like that. Like, why are we waving branches, guys? But now I'm up here at the worst of them. Why? Because there's something when you just say, Jesus, I'm going to give you in faith. And all of a sudden, seeds of hope start going in you. And you start getting filled up. The enemy is like, oh, I want to stop that. Maybe today you're in here and you're hearing the gospel and you're like, man, I'm ready, I'm ready to be a full disciple of Jesus. We heard Timothy talking, you're like, i got to be that. You heard Ty talking about his presence, like, I want to live there. But the enemy, listen, he, he had a plan for these people, but he didn't know it, but God had a better plan. And, but I want to show you, I want to pull back the blinders of the schemes of the enemy real quick, because these are the things that stop and counter. And you know what? You can sit in church all day long, you can come in here and other people can have encounters and you can miss what God is doing. There's some of you in right, right now, you're totally checked out. You're like, they're not talking to me. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to literally what the enemy is trying to do in your life right now. Because he could care less if your butt is in here and you're not engaged. He, he didn't care Listen, I've been to communist Ukraine, and listen, they, you know they had church? During the, during the communist era, do you know there were churches in Ukraine, in Russia, in the Soviet Union? They didn't care if people went to church. But when people started having encounters with God, they cared. See, they only had two rules. The first one was this, you couldn't speak in tongues. You're like, what in the world? They were like, you can get together, be a club, join together, but the minute the Spirit of God shows up, you're, we don't want that. Yeah. The second thing is you couldn't have kids there. No one under 18. Why? Because they knew if God showed up and He got in the kids and the generation, their control was over. See, the devil doesn't care if you're in here today. He cares that you come, what you come out with. And some of us need to recognize, listen, my attendance means nothing, but what I'm getting out of it is the invitation from heaven to come on, let's be a disciple. Let's get in all the way. Let's pursue Jesus. And the devil has things set up. I mean, I'm going to read you some stuff that is not clear. The devil is like, I don't like this. He doesn't like you being encountered. 
Why does the world make fun of the church? Because it's all they've got. What I mean by that? That if they can discredit the church's passion by saying, oh, that's just emotionalism. Listen, I'm not talking about emotion. I'm talking about something so deep in your spirit that it causes people in countries that are, are being persecuted to give their lives gladly. That's not emotion, guys. Emotion doesn't get you to give up your life. It's the deep core of knowing, hey, I'm, I'm going to die here, but I'm going to see Jesus. And the fruit of my life is going to bear more fruit. See, there's a, there's a deepness that God is wanting in us. And I see it all through this. I'm going to tell you three things that I see the enemy working here. The first one was he wanted everyone to be silent. He wanted to silence what God was doing in his people. See, we see it. It's breaking out. Timothy read it. Ty read it. The whole city stirred up. They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're recognizing that Jesus is God. When they're saying the word king, some of them are just saying it because they want a different king. But most of them are recognizing He's the Messiah. And they're declaring it. And what happens? I'm going to read it in the Passion. I love this. This is Luke 19 in the Passion. It says, Highest praise to God for the One who comes as King in the name of the Lord. Heaven's peace and glory from the highest realm now comes to us. Now listen, some Jewish religious leaders who stood off from the procession, see, they weren't in it. They were there, but they weren't in it. You can be in this room and you're like, maybe you just sit there like, these people are crazy today. Listen, part of me always tells myself we're being crazy and God's like, I love it. And they were standing off. Listen, they were missing the moment. They were missing what heaven was doing. They were missing what the Spirit of God was stirring. Why? Because they were so busy, worried about how they looked. But they were more worried about what was going on with Jesus. And they said, teacher, you must order your followers at once to stop saying these things. Jesus responded, listen to me. If my followers were silenced, the very stones would break forth with praise. See, what the enemy wants to do, the first thing he wants to do when you begin to have an encounter is he wants to silence you. What? Because first of all, what's going in in you is supposed to bubble out. And if when we walk out these doors, that voice begins to say, oh, that didn't really happen. That, that didn't change you at all. You're not transformed. You're going back to the same old, same old. You can be good in that room, but you're going to be bad out here. And you begin to believe it. What's it doing? It's literally sewing shut your mouth to the testimony of what God just did in your life. Maybe you had an amazing encounter just in your, in your time with the Lord and no one else saw it. And you're like, man, I'm forever changed. And that voice comes and says, that didn't really happen. You got no proof. No one was there. He was there. What am I saying though? The enemy wants to silence you. He wants to silence what God is doing in you. You're made to cry it out. If you begin to look at the verse right here, when, it, when it's, it's not just talking about, hey, make them be silent. It's literally saying stop the purpose and destiny that's coming out of them. That's the Greek word. 
Stop the very... And Jesus says, if they don't do their destiny, then the rocks will rise up and do it for them. There was something so dramatic that was happening. And guys, I want to encourage you right now. Don't be silent about what's happening in your life. The church has been silent too long. We've had good Bible studies. We've had amazing worship. We've had good prayer times. And then I think Ty is right on it. Then we get out there and we're totally afraid of man. Listen, Galatians deals with it. If we have fear of man, we're not a servant of God. It's impossible to serve Him at His fullness with fear of man. And, and we see that and we see that. And, and people start saying, be silent. Hey, that's too much. It's interesting when, when Timothy was a teenager and God started doing all this amazing stuff in him. People would come and come to me and be like, hey, that's too much. And they're like, well, he's going to grow into it. And when he grows into it and understands it, and I would turn to people and say, you stop it. You let him burn. You let him burn. And yeah, he's going to mess up and he's going to say stupid things and he's going to be all over the place and bouncing off the wall. But what's coming out of him is Jesus. And guys, we've had too many spiritual nannies going around telling people that's too much. That's too much. Or hey, when you grow into it and when you figure it out, it's not like we were teaching him to drive in an F1, a Formula One car. We were saying, we want to teach you to drive. Here's a beater. Right? Because you're going to bang it up a little. But we were telling him to drive. And guys, I, I feel like maybe you've been the one telling people to calm down. Be careful. Like, well, when they grow up, we'll let them know. Let them loose. Let, I mean... I think about the man in the tombs and Jesus had no problem after one day or like Timothy said, one mile telling him, now you're the evangelist in this area. You tell what I did and when I come back, you have a crowd ready. And I, and I believe that we've been, we've been silent too long, guys. The church has been silent too long. And here's what's interesting. I believe then... We begin to break out of our shell and begin to believe that, hey, the power of God is in us and we're co-laborers with Him. Amazing journey, right? How many remember that journey? Where we begin to remember that we get to do it and not everything happens in here and it's not from the stage. We're the children of God. But then the enemy began to tell us like, like we had disappointments, right? We, believe, we said, we're going to believe in miracles and then people die. And the enemy says, be silent. See, guys... I know people that are ready to give up on the journey of power and being co-laborers, and I'm like, no, I won't be silent. Because what the Scripture says is true. Second thing, I think that the enemy is always wanting to keep us from recognizing the greatness of Jesus. It's, it's so amazing to me that in Matthew, the Scripture that Ty said, says the whole city was stirred, and they asked, who is this? And, and I believe, remember that they're shouting, He's King of kings and Lord of lords. So it's, it's the people observing that and they're saying, Who is this? And it's interesting the answer. The disciples and the followers, they had it figured out that day. This is Jesus, the Messiah. But it's interesting the answer that the crowd gives. The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. 
in Galilee. And I believe there's two things here that, that I, the Lord began to show me that I believe the enemy is always at work when we're having an encounter with God. The first thing is he wants to lessen the encounter by the way that we see Jesus. They were blinding him from the greatness of Jesus. They said he's a prophet. Jesus was a prophet, but that won't save you. Islam believes that Jesus is a prophet. Hindus, you tell them Jesus is a prophet, like, yep. It's when you get to the fact, is He King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. That's where it gets to the point of transformation. Jesus as prophet doesn't change anything. Jesus as prophet just begins to declare, you know, He's a good guy. And they wrote good stories about Him. And I believe the interesting thing is the enemy wants to blind us from the greatness of Jesus. Why? Because when you know He's great, you're astounded. And we know from Matthew, Mark 10, if you're astounded at Jesus, you're one of His disciples. But, but the enemy's constantly trying, well, maybe, maybe he's putting doubt in who Jesus was in your mind. Like maybe, maybe he wasn't the Son of God. Or maybe you just feel like, oh, all these stories, they're, they're good inspirational stories, but they didn't really happen. They happened, guys. Everything in that Word happened. It happened in Jerusalem this morning. I, was, I, I listened to a bunch of weird stuff on Sunday mornings. I was listening to some Hebrew music. And they had this video of Jerusalem, and I thought, Jesus, that's where you were walking. It happened. They didn't say some city somewhere. They said Jerusalem. Why? Because it was a historical event, and we have to recognize that Jesus is who He said He is. And just the famous quote from C.S. Lewis, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. Prophet doesn't change it. But the second thing is, it's so interesting to me, is that they said he's a prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They immediately went to the most natural thing they could do. And I believe this, the minute we begin to naturalize our encounter with God, we lessen its power in our lives. Like, or we immediately evaluate how it changed our circumstance. Or we immediately evaluate if I'm, if I'm different. We immediately evaluate something in the natural. Like, do I have more money in my bank account? And it begins to lessen the encounter that God is offering. Because why? Faith. It requires faith. And it's not always what we see. Now, there's amazing moments where we see miracles and they bolster our faith and we go after it. But I just want to make sure that we're not in a place where we have this great encounter and then we judge it immediately by the natural. Okay, third thing. So the first one, he wants to silence us. The second one, he wants to lessen our view of the greatness of Jesus. But the third thing is, he wants to kill what God is doing. He wants to kill it. We all know the plan of the enemy, right? He gave us his mission statement, Jesus did. He said, the plan of the enemy is to kill, steal, and destroy. He hates what God is doing in your life. And it's so interesting. I read this verse last week. It's in John 12. It says, this is in 12, 19. Man, they've just blown up Jerusalem. The atmosphere is stirred. God's doing all kinds of things. It says, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, I could, I'm going to be super good and not talk about how the whole world is going to go after Jesus here real quick. Because I want to talk about the view of what God was doing in the Pharisees. I mean, what the devil was doing in the Pharisees. God was offering the Pharisees to be disciples. If we, if we think that the big plan of God was that he had these angry people and they, 
He was inviting them constantly to love Him. Come on, here we come. He, and, and He knew that some would reject. And He knew, man, if you believe in sovereignty of God, which we do, of course, He knew those things were happening, but He was still offering. Come on, use your will. Hear Jesus. Here's what He's saying. Come on, welcome Him in. But they didn't. And apparently, today's the day they realized this isn't working what we're doing, trying to discredit Him. We've got to kill Him. Say, so you get that from that verse? I do. That's the day they came up with the plan. We will kill him. The enemy thought he had won that day. But I, I do want to tell you that what God is doing in your life, the enemy wants to kill it. He, he hates it. Why? Because you're being stirred. Your whole world is getting stirred to Jesus. Your whole world, your workplace, your family. Your environment at home, everything is worked up and it's, it's in love with Jesus and, and the, the devil that's all around you saying, oh, this isn't working. We've got to kill it. And, you know, I, I've seen the enemy. I think it's the hardest thing in ministry is to see people that have loved Jesus with all of their heart. They've sang it up here with us. Jesus, I love you with all of my heart. I've seen them lay their life down, go to nations, do all these things, and then walk away from God. Why? Because the enemy wants to kill what God has done, maybe with doubt, with disappointment, with fear, with lies. He wants to kill what God has done in your life. And it's not enough to say, well, I'm going to heaven. Jesus didn't save you to get you to heaven. That's just the result of being saved. He saved you to be amazing on earth. And He's looking for people who are not going to let the things of the world kill what God has done. I mean, disappointment's a big one, guys. Ty and I have been journeying through disappointment with this, about his dad. And I'm, I, I, all we've come to is, God, you're good and your love endures forever. But we're going to love you all of our days. And we don't ever have to know why. What am I saying? Dis, but those are the kind of disappointments that you look and in five, ten years, you have no passion for Jesus. You couldn't... You can't even imagine the encounters that you were having anymore because disappointment and destruction have stolen those. And it doesn't mean even you've walked away from the Lord. It may just mean you've walked away from believing radically. Maybe like, well, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to worship. I'm going to give my tithe. I'm going to be a good Christian. But man, to give my life, I don't know. And I, I just sense it so strong that the Lord was just wanting me to talk about this today. And I was like, God... Next week is when we talk about things coming to life. And he was like, no, this week. See, what they didn't know is what the enemy was killing or trying to kill was going to transform the history of mankind. And what the enemy is trying to kill in you is literally trying to stop the power of transformational power in your life. And God's saying, I'll work it for good. But if you don't believe it's working for good in your life, it's a disappointment. There's no in-between, guys. I just want to say there's no gray area there. I'm sorry. I would like to give you a gray area and say I know you're working through it. But if it's not glimmering with hope, it's under the influence of a lie. If, it, if it's not glimmering with hope, then disappointment's in there. And disappointment kills hope, but hope kills disappointment. And I, I want to just tell you that that, that Jesus was never afraid of the plan of the enemy. Like, oh God, they're going to kill me. 
If you read the Scriptures, he's telling his boys over and over, they're going to kill me. And I'm going to raise from the dead. And they're like, huh? What about the temple? He's like, they're going to kill me. And it's going to raise up in three days. And like, what? Like, they didn't have it all figured out, but Jesus knew the plan of the enemy. He, the Father had peeled back the blinders off of, off of His eyes and said, this is the scheme of the enemy. I'm not saying Jesus had scales, sorry. Our eyes, Jesus didn't have those, but God still revealed it to Him. He revealed it and said, hey, they're going to kill you, but we're going to raise from the dead. And you're going to be the perfect, sinless offering for all mankind. See, we have to understand that what the enemy is trying to kill in you has power to transform your world. What you've encountered, who you've encountered, more importantly, who you've encountered, will transform your world. And maybe the enemy's telling you to be silent. Maybe he's just taking away the greatness of those things. Maybe, literally, you feel like it's dead. I want to tell you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And those things that feel dead, that you've given up on, like, oh, it's, no, I don't... And some of us are like the lady in 2 Kings where she said, don't even say it because I'll have hope. So she told Elisha, he said, tell me, why don't you have children? She said, don't say it. Don't say it. He said, by this time next year, you'll have a son. You know, he dies later on. The son dies and she comes to the prophet and says, you said, you gave me this hope. She said, you get in there and do something about it. And I think there needs to be some boldness in us sometimes. We're like, man, this thing is dead. Get to God and say, God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells on the inside of me. And maybe some of us need to go lay on our dreams again, face to face, hand to hand, body to body, and say, come to life. See, we have to begin to recognize that what the enemy is trying to kill, it matters if you don't believe in resurrection. I'm not saying don't protect what God's doing. I'm just saying if it's dead, lay on that thing and say, God, here I am. Do your work. Do your work. How do we end today? Well, first of all, I don't want today to be a moment. I want this place of where we've rejoiced and we've exalted Him to be a transformational moment in our lives. You know, the funniest thing about COVID the thing I missed most was this service. It was the hardest Sunday for me. Elizabeth and I had like these little leaves in our room. Like, God, what's going on? I missed this. <laughs> Seriously, like two of us in there like, it wasn't the same. But he told me, don't be afraid. Why? Because everybody was telling us, the end of the church in America. Literally. He had some uplifting emails like that. But I, I, I'm just going to ask you to stand up. I, I believe this. You know that this week is called the Passion Week? Jesus was so full of passion to rescue us that in church history they were like, hey guys, what should we call this week? I think the one the most passionate one in the room said, let's call it Passion Week. And they couldn't deny that that's what it was. It was the passion of Christ. First of all, I want to say this. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus, and everything we just talked about 
sounded foreign, but something on the inside of you said, that's who my, that's what I've been missing. Timothy's going to be right up here, and he's going to introduce you to Jesus. It's going to be the greatest day of your life. Yeah. If that's you, just raise your hand. If you've never come to Jesus. Now, I know Ben was here last week, and he, he got everyone. But if you're in here, and you're like, you heard this today, and you're like, I don't have a relationship or an understanding of Jesus like that, but I want to, we want to give you that opportunity. Anyone? If you're online, I know there's someone here that's watching either today or in the future, and this is you. I'm looking right at you. Just raise your hand right where you're at. I don't care if it's three months later. Raise your hand and say, Jesus, I'm all yours. King of kings, Lord of lords. For the rest of us, I I, I just want to say this. I believe that the invitation is to have a week of passionate understanding of who Jesus is in your life. Why? Because the greatest way to resist the enemy is to do the opposite. Yes? When he tells you to be silent, be loud. When he tells you to act dead, be alive. When he tells you, oh, Jesus is just... he, He didn't have all the answers. You say, yes, He did. He's the answer to everything on this earth. And I just, I feel like it's a week of passion. Why? Because I want next week to not be religious. We've been really awesome here on this day, and I'm just going to say our Easter's have been like, eh, like a single. Right? Well, there's going to be people here that, let's show them what it's like to pursue Jesus. And let's let this week here, find someone, invite someone, disciple someone this week. Find someone and say, you know what? I've been praying for you. And I want you to come with me. It could be scary. They might be weird. But I promise you, in the end, you're going to have it all. You're going to understand. Or some of you may just need to spend a whole week praying for someone and say, I know they're going to church somewhere on Easter and it's their day. Can you commit to be passionate for someone this week. Not, and of course we're going to be passionate for Jesus. But let that overflow into something amazing. Why? Because he's in the, in the end, he wasn't just looking for disciples. Timothy and I will get to the next step. He's looking for disciple makers. And that's your week. That's your homework. So let's all just lift our hands. Everyone in here told me you're a believer. So this isn't hard for you. Why? Because like I taught Evie years ago, she goes, Pops, why are we raising our hands? I said, because we lift up holy hands to Jesus. And she goes, okay. (laughs) Why? It's that simple. Why do we do it? Because Jesus told us to. It strikes a blow against the enemy. We lift up our hands in full surrender to you, Jesus. King of kings. Lord of lords. We ask that everything that you've done in us in this year, in this day, in our lives, would reap fruit. Would bear fruit. This week it would bear fruit, God. I pray that encounters that we've had that we we don't even remember would be stirred up this week. I pray, God, that, that those special places and even special phrases that you've whispered to us in the past would come thundering into us this week, God. Anything stolen would be restored this week, God. Anything dead would be raised to life. There's a 
a young girl on the back, you have both your hands up. I can't see. It's dark back there, so if I know you, my bad. I just see your hands. You have two of them right now. Just wave at me. You know I'm talking to you. Two hands. You, you, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, keep them up. It's okay. I just felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you what's dead is coming to life. What's felt dead is coming to life. And he says, the power to raise it from the dead is in you. He wants you to go lay on those things this week. He wants you to lay on them, put your mouth to their mouth, their hand to their hand, their body to their body, and speak life over them. And it's going to come out of you. Come on, everybody just turn to her. In the back. This is not to embarrass you. This is to encourage you. Come on, girl! (laughs) Yeah. See, come on. Now that's the way to receive a prophetic word. Um woman right here in the, the green sweater. I was over there praying. I turned and I looked at you and God told me that she's never overlooked. Even though that maybe sometimes in your life you feel like, okay, I'm being overlooked in this. God has never overlooked you one time in your life. And He is coming in waves of mercy. He's coming in waves of grace. He's coming to, over, to, to give you the strength to overpower. To overcome. His grace is sufficient for your life. His grace is sufficient for your circumstances, for your walk. His grace is enough. So God, just begin to pour out even more, more of your grace. As she just walks through this week, God, that you would just continue to pour out more and more and more because she's never overlooked. In Jesus' name. Yeah, Jonathan, I met you on Wednesday. Are you in here? If you are, just give me a hand raise. If not, it's all right. We met Wednesday night, Jonathan. Nope, okay, no worries. My brother back here, you know who I'm, po- I'm pointing at you. I, I cannot remember your name. You're in a tan jacket right behind Jared. Yeah, yeah, you. Hey, man. Um, remind me of your name real quick. Just yell it out. Wyatt, thank you. Hey, bro, I've just actually been feeling this for you for the last few weeks. Like, God wants to take you into new depths. Like, there's, like, a stirring inside of you that's like a well, and I feel like you've just barely, like, dipped your toe in. And there's an invitation to more, and this isn't a condemnation word. This is an invitation word. And so, bro, like, if you want it, just dive in. Just tell him yes and just go for it. So I just release that over you right now in the name of Jesus the depths of who the Lord is are open to you. Dive right in. Yeah, bless on, you Jesus. in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to go again one time. Sorry. Right here in the mask with the glasses. What's your name? Eric. Forgiveness. Whoa. Forgiveness. The Bible says that love holds no record of wrong. I want you to know that he doesn't hold anything against you. So now you need to let it go yourself. Not just for your life, but for others too. Caleb. 
because love holds no record of wrong. So God, I just pray for Eric right now. I pray that you would just begin to show him even more about your mercy and more about forgiveness and more about your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Ooh. I'm going to ask the altar team to go ahead and come up. If you need prayer for anything at all, they're up here.